How you guys doing? You guys uh, ready for the holiday season? Woo! I uh, yesterday I was down at Bacon Park and uh, for the first time saw the uh, the bell ringers. You know that's music to your ears, right? Um, so I know that it's full on holiday season when you see those guys out there um, doing their job. So that's awesome to see. Um, hey, I want to ask you guys a question to start us off uh, tonight. Okay, maybe a rhetorical question, uh, but uh, if I were to tell you tonight that, it, and totally legit, if I were to tell you that you just inherited $25 million, okay, you just got a letter in the mail today saying, legal, binding, you just inherited $25 million, how would you react? Where would your mind go to? How would you, what, what kind of feelings, I mean, think about it right now. What kind of feelings like arise in you when you think of that kind of money coming into your possession? Where did, where's your mind go to? What would you do? What, how would you begin living your life differently with that knowledge in your hands? Right? And you could just, Keep thinking about that, keep thinking about that, and then think about this. If I were to tell you that your bank account was overdrawn, that your savings was drained and depleted, that your retirement 401k pension was all gone, now how would you react? How did the feelings inside your gut change when I present that scenario? Where does your mind go to when you think of that? Same question, if you had that knowledge, how would you begin to live your life differently if you knew you didn't have any of your money, any of your savings, any of that stuff? Now tonight, I'm not here to talk about money. I think Evan did that a while ago. We'll leave that to him. My point tonight can get across with lots of things, different things. It could be um, the, a relationship being taken away from you. It could be a physical activity or a physical ability being stripped from you and told that you can never do this anymore. Uh, it could be um, a social acceptance or rejection from a group of people or a person that if they reject you, um, those feelings come in. And so lots of examples to prove the point that the way we react to certain things, the way we react and respond to certain situations has everything to do with what our identity is tied to has everything to do with what our identity is tied to. And I want to assert tonight that um, we as humans have an identity crisis. Okay, we have an identity crisis. And I went ahead and I looked up the definition of identity crisis. And it was really interesting. Here's here's what it says. Um, Identity crisis is a period of uncertainty and confusion in which a person's sense of identity becomes insecure, typically due to a change in their expected aims or role 
in society. So when our expected aims, our goals, or our roles in society become, uh, they change, they become unclear, it causes confusion, right? It causes confusion and uncertainty, and a key word is insecurity, right? So what is our identity crisis? What is, where do we find our identity, and how does it affect the way we live our lives? Okay, I presented the case of, of money. Some of us find identity in, in money, and it affects our lives, how we live our lives. Some of us have our identity tied to relationships, and when those are taken away or change, then, uh, then we, it affects our lives and how we live. Um, some of us are, are, are tied to um, being accepted or our roles in society, and when that changes, our identity shifts and our identity becomes confused. And so how does it affect our life? How can we live? I mean, Evan talked last week uh, about being created for a purpose, that God intentionally created us for a purpose. And so how can we live out our life God has called us to when we don't know who we are? How can we live out that purpose when we don't know who we are? and where our identity comes from. I believe that we need to go back. We need to step back and make a right assessment of who we are and what our identity is tied to. Um, Some of you might have heard this fable. I call it a parable because I think it it teaches a lesson in it. Um, This fable of the frog and the scorpion. Anybody ever heard that fable? If you haven't, I'll I'll kind of uh, share it with you tonight because I think it it proves a point. So a scorpion asks a frog to carry it across the river. And the frog hesitates. He's afraid of being stung and says, Surely you will sting me, for you are a scorpion. It's what you do. But the scorpion argues that if it did so, they would both drown. Considering this, the frog agrees But midway across the river, the scorpion does indeed sting the frog, dooming them both. When the frog asks the scorpion why, the scorpion simply replies, because I'm a scorpion. It's what I do. And a lot of people have used that that parable to teach different lessons that, you know, we're innately sinners and we we are doomed to just, to destruction. But I want to kind of paint a new light around that and point out that the scorpion was simply living out of his true identity. That the scorpion, he operated out of who he was and who he was created to be. A scorpion was created to sting and to kill. Okay? He was simply just operating out out of that identity. Okay? But as humans, I believe that we possess this unique consciousness different from other creation and animals uh, in our world, we, uh, we possess this unique consciousness to choose to find our identity in things we were never created for. We have that ability. We can choose. We can choose to ignore our true identity and find it in other things. 
And when we do that, we operate out of that. I believe that whatever we find our identity in, we operate out of those things. And as such, we operate out of false identities. We function in ways that we were never created to function. Um, we, ask, we ask God, and then, we, and then we go to God and we say, God, why? Why are things this way? Why, why is my life this way? Why is this happening to me? And I believe the answer most of the time most of the time would be because you're not operating out of your true identity. You're not living out of who you are because you don't know who you are. So what is it? What were we created for in the first place? What would it look like to operate out of a true identity that he has created us for? And of course, I want to bring us back to the beginning. uh, Back to him creating us. And so we're going to look at this. We're going to look at God creating us. And specifically in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, this is a beautiful passage that says this. God, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the living, every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay? So in this passage, the second part, we get this, this idea of this is a, a task that God has given us. This is a purpose that God has given us to do. Okay, and it says, be fruitful and multiply. Here at Rimrock, I think that we have that down. Um, but <laughs> it says to fill the earth and subdue it, right? What does that even mean? To fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue uh, literally means to, to cultivate, to create, to create out of nothing or to create out of chaos, Something that is beautiful, something that is, is living. Um, you think of uh, it's actually like an agricultural term too. Like you take t- take a land and a farmer, and he goes and subdues that land. And what does he do out of that land? The land cannot produce or grow anything by itself. But when a farmer subdues it, it grows life. It grows food, and it grows something that that can sustain life. Right. And we also have this idea to have dominion over creation. Have to, like, rule over creation. And that's really interesting that God gives us the task to rule over his creation. It's almost like he's saying, hey, I've started creating all of this stuff, and now, hey, you go do it. You go do it. I've begun this beautiful creation, and now I want you to continue it. That's a pretty cool task. That's a pretty cool purpose. But I think to really understand it, to really understand why it's us, why us, we have to look at that first part. That God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God. 
And so it was interesting in looking at this and studying it, um, studying just the word image and the phrase image of God. It was uh, fascinating to understand this and really to, to look at myself in a new light. But the word image in Hebrew, which it was written in, can more properly be translated to English as idol. As idol. An idol is an image or representation of a god used as an object of worship. So we have this idea that idols were representatives of God. It indicated the presence of God. And so this this idea, image of God, image was also referred to, or idol was also referred to as a, a, a king. That many kings were uh, were referred to as the image of God. Okay, it, it was a person or thing that a king, you know, a idol is a person or king or a person or thing that is greatly uh, ad- admired, loved revered, but kings were often idolized back then. Kings, we don't live in like kingdoms like they did back then. We don't, we're not really familiar with kingdom terms, but they were, okay? These people that were reading this, they were very familiar with that, and they would directly connect that to the idea of a king being idolized and given almost, uh, given godlike status and given the, uh, what he says happens, right? And so they were referred, kings were referred to as the image of God. As king, you would rule over a nation. You would rule over your kingdom, right? And so here's the paradox. Here's the paradox in this passage. That one, we have a God that says, you shall not make for yourself any carved image. Any image of God, right? Why? Why does God tell us in the Ten Commands in Exodus 20, verse 4, that you shall not make any carved images for yourself, any image of God for yourself? Why? Because he's already made one. It's you. It's me. It's the person sitting next to you that you are the image of God, the intended representative of who he is. The intended, uh, intended uh, representative and, uh, of being the presence of God on his creation. So there's paradox one. Paradox two is that we have a God who is king over all creation, right? He is king. There's no doubt about that. But he is given us authority like a king to rule over his kingdom and subdue it, to create, to cultivate, and to expand his kingdom. Right? He has made us all kings with this intentional and specific purpose to carry out his will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will as his representatives. I think Paul really grasped this. You guys really understood this idea. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says this. He says, therefore, we 
are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. I believe he's, he's telling us, guys, you are the representatives. You are the image of God. You were created for this purpose, to go expand his kingdom. This is who you were created to be. So what went wrong? Why are we in this place today where our identity is not tied to that? That we find ourselves tying our identities to so many different things that we were never intended to tie it to? Well, we see that, you know, God's definition for good his definition was for good was was see, is seen through his creation that he uh, wants a kingdom that brings life. His definition for good is to in his kingdom is to bring life to his creation to benefit others, right? And this gives God the glory. This glorifies God. But here's the problem. We've been deceived. We were deceived in the garden. We were deceived into believing that we could decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. We were tempted to place ourselves where only God belongs. See, God says, here's my definition of good for the kingdom, and I want you to carry it out. Not, I want you to decide what's good. I want you to carry out my will. But we've been deceived to think that we can decide what's good and what's evil. We can, we've been deceived to, to place ourselves in that role and not God's. And so we see it right, off the, um, right in the beginning of the, the, the deception. Genesis 3.5, Satan says, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the temptation. You will be like God, knowing good and evil, being able to decide what is good and what is evil. And so with that, we created our own kingdoms. We created our own kingdoms and placed ourselves on that throne. God warned us. God warned us and said, if you decide, he says if, in Genesis it says, if you eat of the fruit, surely you will die. I believe by saying that, he says, if you decide for yourself that you want to choose what's good and what e- what's evil, you will certainly choose death. You will certainly choose destruction. You'll certainly choose the evil that leads to your own demise. History, you guys, is telling of this. I mean, you don't have to look too far into history to see that when we place ourselves as kings, it leads to war and death and destruction and not very good things. There is not very many stories in history about kings who did good for others. Let's bring it to ourselves. How many of us have made decisions that have 
led to destructive patterns in our life. Made decisions um, that caused disarray. Made decisions that caused death to our soul. And, and how many of us have, have done those things because we are trying to decide for ourselves what's good? Trying to decide what's good for us instead of listening to the voice and the instruction of the one who created us. We've created our own kingdoms and we've created a new identity. This identity is based on self-preservation. A purpose to, to save ourselves, to preserve ourselves. Um, we see it in the garden again, um, where the first response that Adam and Eve had after this deception, after they decided, okay, I, I think I can decide for myself. After this deception, the first thing they did was what? They hid. They hid from God. He says, I heard the sound of you, God, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so he hid. And here's God's response. I, thought, I think this is so interesting. He says, why? he didn't say, why did you hide? Why were you afraid? He says, who told you you were naked. Who told you that? Who told you that your identity was not in me? God asks us the same question. Who told you that you were ugly? Who told you that you needed that job? to feel secure? Who told you that you needed that relationship to feel loved? Who told you that you needed that scholarship to feel significant? You name it in your life. Who told you that you needed those things to feel significant, to feel loved, to feel accepted? Not me. God says. We begin to lose our identity when we believe the lie that our identity is not found in him, but in other things. We begin to lose our identity and therefore we act accordingly. And what is that? How do we act? Two ways. Fear and insecurity. What did Adam say? I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked. Fear and insecurity. Most of us operate out of those two things. We hide from God. We run from God. We refuse to listen to his voice. If you find yourself living in fear and insecurity, then you've lost your identity. You've lost your identity in who you were created to be. And when we do this, 
uh, when, we, when we lose our identity, when, when we start to live out of fear and operate out of fear, we become slaves to it. We become slaves to our own false identi- identities. We become slaves to sin, slaves to fear and insecurity, and slaves to ourselves. Slaves to whatever it is that's saying, hey, I need that outside of God. We become enslaved. And so how do we, how do we return? How do we come back? How do we get back to our true, true identity so we can live out how we, we were created to live in the first place? Well, you guys, one, we need a savior. We need a savior because obviously we cannot do this on our own. Uh, we, have been, we have proven that we are insufficient in choosing what is good for ourselves. We need a savior to come free us from that slavery of our own kingdom that we've built up. We need a savior to come free us from the death that we are causing for ourselves. And we can't do it ourselves. Paul says that uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We fall short every time, every single one of us. When we try to do it ourselves, we fall short. We need a savior. But secondly, we need a king. We need a king to show us what it looks like to live as the image of God, as we were intended to live. The image of God to rule his kingdom as we were meant to be. We need a savior and we we need a king. And so what can we do about it? Absolutely nothing. But God did everything for us. God sent his son, Jesus, to be, as Paul describes in Colossians 1.15, the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, He is our Savior to set us free from slavery, to set us free by conquering death. And Paul is able to cry out because of this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we can be free and have victory over death, over our own selves, over the sin that has enslaved us. We can be free because he came to be our savior and he showed us love. Paul says in Romans, he said, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so he came to be savior, but he also came to be king to show us what the kingdom of heaven looks like, to show us how we are to rule as as co-heirs with Christ, as the images of God that we were created to be, He showed us how to love. 
Jesus gives us this new identity. We can't have it without him, without his spirit in us. He gives us this new identity. And Paul says it this way. He talks about our identity this way. He says, For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, which is an indication of an identity crisis. But you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may also be glorified with him. Do you ever think of yourself in that light? Do you ever just sit and wake up and, and think, man, I'm a child of God. How many times do we do that? How many times do we just sit and realize that we are God's child and what that entails, what, that come, what comes with that, that we are also heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, that everything God has, his whole kingdom is ours. And he's given it to us to go subdue it and expand it and cultivate it? Do we think of ourselves in this light of living in this kingdom? Jesus gives us this new identity, but he also shows us how to operate in that new identity. You see, we don't, when we think of, of, of kingdoms, a lot of times we've seen the result of kingdoms be uh, from kings who came to be served, kings who came to judge, who came to seek self-preservation, to take for themselves, to exalt themselves. But Jesus comes and shows us a new kingdom, an upside-down kingdom. And this kingdom is so upside-down from any other kingdom that we've ever seen. He came to serve, not to be served, to love not to enact judgment, to lose your life, not to save it, to give of yourself, not take for yourself, to humble yourself, not to exalt yourself, to live in freedom, not in fear. It's interesting that Jesus tells us so many times, do not fear. In Matthew six twenty-five through 34, 10 verses, and he tells us three times, do not fear. It's got to be important. Do not live outside of your true identity is what Jesus is saying. And so what is all this? How do we wrap this up? God came as a savior and he came as a king to be the image of God that we were created to be in order to show us how to live out of our true identity to love God and to love others as Evan shared with us last week. But the only way to truly love God and love others is to recognize who you are, that you are a child of God, that you are loved by him first. And when you understand that, and when our identity is tied to that, we have the freedom to do good, to do what God says is good not us, and to live our lives 
First John says it this way. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Whoever fears has not found their identity in love. We love because he first loved us. We find our identities as image of God, images of God, rulers of God's kingdom created to serve, to love, to sacrifice, and to reign God's kingdom, to go out and expand it. How are we doing this, you guys? How are we doing this with our lives? How has God gifted us and gifted you and crafted you in such a way to uniquely reign God's kingdom and live out your purpose within his kingdom? Are you allowing him to use the gifts he's given you? As the worship team comes up, um, I'll just uh, throw these two things out to take away. Do you know who you are in him? Do you know that you are loved? And are you living out who you are in him? You are to love. We need to know who we are though. We need to know where we came from and who he says we are. Not anything or anybody else. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you for coming as Savior and as King um, to rescue us and to give us the Spirit that can do your will, that can live out um, who we were created to be, who can live out your kingdom and expand your kingdom and share with others your love. God, I pray for those who don't know you as Savior and King, that they would come to uh, realize that um, that they need you, that they need to know who they are in you. They need to know that they're loved by you. God, set them free. Set them free from their slavery to themselves, their own kingdoms, and their own sin. God, I pray for those who do know you as Savior and as King, that you would work in them and use them and help them fight the temptation to find their identity in anything else, and that you would use them in a unique way to live out your kingdom to others. And it's in the power of Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.